On the show today, sleeping through the story, a ragtag group of contrarians, and learning systems that aren't D&D in 3, 2, 1... Alex, have you gotten enough sleep lately? Never do I get enough sleep. I work third shift. That's true, which I hear comes after second shift. Yes, and before the sunrise. Yes, so with those two things combined, sleep is not I am sleep deprived. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thanks for staying upright for a moment. Hey everybody, welcome to Total Double Knockdown. I'm Nathan. And I am Alex, and I am awake. (laughs) Sadly, this is true. So, first up on the show today, let's talk a little bit about sleep. How about that? Let's take a nap. Let's all take a nap together. Uh, segment over. Actually, I think Crave was thinking about this. Yes. Was the concept of sleep or rest being placed into games. And I'm trying to think of some of the examples that we might use. We talked a little bit about, like, cozy games or farming sims where you have to go to sleep. There's a curfew, like, 2 o'clock in the morning. You better be in bed or you pass out. Uh, Or, you know, you've you've run out of energy. Uh, But even in, like, a a D&D or a lot of, you know, uh, role-playing games, they'll have rests, short rests, long rests, things like that, where you have to actually be in downtime for a period. Uh, and um, I guess the uh, real thing we should start with is, how do you feel about like rest or sleep as a mechanic in games? I think in games where it's optional, I like it more, like Skyrim or Fallout, you can sleep, but you do not need to, and you get a bonus like experience. And that's like, okay, cool. Well, it benefits me to sleep or survival mode where you need to sleep so that you can, you know, rest. I don't mind that because, uh, as we were talking about it in person the other day, uh, I don't like when I'm in the middle of something and then the game forces me to interrupt the flow of what I'm doing because its mechanic says that I need to stop what I'm doing and go to sleep. Right. Uh, I'm in the middle of actually, you know, in a dungeon, uh, and I'm, I'm having a good old time, and then the game goes, beep, beep, beep. Sorry. Yeah. Get, get uh, inside, one kids. Of the, <laughs> one of the games I got that I thought would be interesting, but had this mechanic, was Re-Legend. Oh. Uh, which is kind of like a farming sim Pokemon hybrid mix type of game. It looked interesting. Sure. It was kind of fun, but then it's like... I'm out there exploring in a dungeon, and it gets after, like, a certain hour, and then your, like, energy starts draining. And there are ways you can sustain it, but it's not super efficient. So it gets, like, 2 a.m., and it's like, oh, you pass out, and you you go back to your home. Right. Suddenly, I am, like, half a day away from my dungeon that I was in. Yeah. Uh, and halfway through the dungeon, and it's like, all right, well, how am I supposed to explore this whole thing? Like, I want to do it in one trip, 
I don't want to go to this dungeon six times. You don't? No. It's, again, similar to, like, going in Skyrim or Fallout 4, where you go and explore a dungeon in Fallout 4 case, you go and explore a uh, dungeon, an area like Corvega, sure. and you're like, I'm going to pick up everything because it's all scrap. Love but it. then you can't fast travel. Exactly. And you can't run. Mm-hmm. So either you drop everything next to the door and you fast travel back and forth five or six times, you make a painfully slow walk back to where you can deposit your items, or you do what I do and use COC command and just teleport back because I don't want to waste my time in game doing something stupid tedious. Right. I was recently playing uh, a little game called Kingdom Come Deliverance. It has such small weight limits from the get-go that it takes you, like, no time at all to, to fill up. Like, everything weighs a ton, and you can only carry, like, half of that. So, you know, I pick up, like, one suit of armor off the ground. Oh, you're getting encumbered. <laughs> and eventually you can't run at all, so yeah, it's just annoying. Um, that game has a lot of interesting systems, and I, yeah. I use that term. I... I find this sleep and rest mechanic similar to that. It's obviously a different mechanic for a different reason, but interrupting the flow of your gameplay to force them into an activity that stops where they have to just start what they were doing all over again, I think is bad design, even if it's meant to be an immersive design. So I'll ask you a question. I'm going to give you two different games that took this in a, a little bit of a different direction and tell me which one you prefer. They're both farming games. But uh, there is uh, Stardew Valley, which I know you're a little bit more familiar with, where at 2 o'clock in the morning, regardless of where you are, you basically pass out. And you are taken back to your house and usually charged something. Maybe you've lost an item or two along the way. And then they, they say, oh, you should be very careful about where you, you know, pass out in the dungeon or whatever. And then... There was a Harvest Moon game that I played, which, you know, Stardew Valley takes a lot from, and it has the stamina meter, which they all seem to have, and while it didn't really, like, make me pass out, when the stamina meter is depleted, you start, like, wandering around, like, really, really slow with, like, staring up at the air, and just, like, in order to get anywhere at that point, you have to go home to recover your stamina. So you do this like long walk back just so that you can do anything because you can't mine at that point. You can't harvest anything. You can't water. You just have to like slowly, slowly walk back to your house. Um, oh, I don't really prefer either of those. Okay. I would prefer if games that let you adventure far away from home let you set up a camp or something so then mm. you could rest out in the wild. Because obviously, yeah. if you're going, if you're gonna spend a day out in the woods mm -hmm. in real life, Nathan, if we get decided we want to go hike as far as we could on the Appalachian Trail, yeah, we would bring everything we need to spend a night in the woods. Just the one, just, just the one the, night, just the one, at least one night in the woods. Sure, you know, you would have a tent, uh, a one-man tent or sleeping bag. You would have enough stuff that you wouldn't be like, ah, oh, crap, I'm only halfway to the next hut. It's either you keep going or it's like, if you can't go anymore, then you just tent up and you go to sleep. Yeah. So I think that would be a better system for that type of thing. Out of the two that you mentioned, however, 
Uh, I prefer the Harvest Moon one because I think it would be more beneficial and more immersive if, I mean, you don't have to be immersive, but I think having that system be like, hey, if you're up past this time, the game becomes harder. You can do it, but it's a choice. Right. So like in a game, maybe where you're, if, if the goal of the game was to slay monsters, a la uh, Don't Starve, a la, uh, what's the other game? Minecraft Dungeons, for instance, or Minecraft, you know, if you're out oh, at sure. night, the game becomes more dangerous. Yep. And if that's what you want to do, that's fine, because then you can seek shelter and avoid the night entirely, or you can play the game in a completely different way and battle monsters. You don't sure. have to just create and build. You can then be like, well, I like nighttime. I'm going to fight. Sure. So, for instance, if Stardew Valley, instead of going, all right, it's 2 a.m., you're passing out and go teleported back to your home and you're going to wake up and you find, they made it more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, you had a more a bigger chance to like have something hurt you a lot. Sure. I think that'd be better. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know the risk of being out there at this hour. Sure. So you're taking that gamble. Right. Instead of the game automatically taking all agency away from you and saying... You can't be out here right now. Right. Right. Sorry, kids. There's there's something really cool out here that happens at like three in the morning and you're not allowed <laughs> to be there for it. Like in the real world, for instance, yeah, curfews also exist for people in places, generally speaking, younger adults or teenagers, typically not adults as often. Um, mm -hmm. But like I work until 7 a.m. Sure. If you were to say you can't be out of the house at 2 a.m., I'd go, I have to fucking work. Right. Please shut up. Yeah. This, I have an excuse. I have a note. I'm allowed to be out. Mom. I'm an essential worker. That's Sorry. right. That's... I never got a note for that. But I won't. Yeah. We're both essential workers. We can be out whenever we want. What uh, I want. Yeah, exactly. Now, in some games, uh, I've seen... I mean, they don't really have the rest mechanics, but on that idea of day-night cycles, some of them make it a little bit more necessary. Uh, like, for instance, I was playing Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines way back when, and you can only play that in nighttime settings, because if they ever get to the sure. daytime, uh, your vampire is going to turn to, uh, what's it called, dust. And so <laughs> so they, they make that a conscientious decision. Um, another game that I was playing recently that does have rest, but it is completely optional, was Valheim. And uh, in Valheim, there are day-night cycles. You can actually go through the entirety of it, uh, and it is definitely harder to see at night. The mm -hmm. interesting thing is, is that in order to rest in that world, though, they really make you jump through a lot of hoops. Like, it, it's not enough to just say, oh, I could just put down a bed or a bedroll or something like that. No, 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 no. You need to have uh, a workbench first so that I can, like, make a structure. And then I make my basic structure that has to completely cover the bed. But then I also need to have some fire source that's next to the bed in order for yeah, me to actually rest. Even that... It, it's optional, but it's so complicated that it's like, guys, I just want to rest one out away. Let me build a bedroll and a campfire. Yeah, I really wanted them to have just like a basic pre-build 
of a camp and just mm. tell me how much I needed like in resources to build that uh, instead of trying to figure out these basic structures. Because the other thing is, is that the only way for you to like put down checkpoints in that game are to assign a bed, essentially like a, a, a shelter to it. So if I'm like wandering across this giant vast landscape, because Valheim does kind of go on for a long period, um, I kind of have to build this place and then set down a checkpoint, or I have to walk all the way back to my like base camp for like another 20 minutes to get there. That ends up being a little bit of a, a problem. That's fine, there are benefits to rest, but uh, there is no necessarily like sleep meter. Now, I have seen games where they do create sleep as a meter, usually along with hunger and thirst, in many ways in similar fashion to the eating and drinking mechanics that you see. It's like one more thing that I have to pay attention to, and in some gaming landscapes, that's fine, but if it is really like story-heavy, or I'm like on real missions, it's really not the kind of thing I want to have to think about. We talked about, in a previous episode, how long have you been in this cave? Yeah. And I keep thinking to myself, like, do we really want to have a mechanic where, uh-oh, you might not realize what time it is right now, your circadian rhythm is completely gone while you're in this cave, but you've been awake for, like, 16 hours, you just, you just fall down, and you're asleep now. And you have, or you have to make a bed, or you're getting two levels of exhaustion until you do that. I would hate to see that as a mechanic when I'm trying to... All I want to do is just fight kobolds. Do you like this system that they actually have in Dungeons & Dragons where resting will give you an actual benefit, even though you don't necessarily have to do it? You get your spells back? Yes and no. I like the fact they added the short rest in, and it does help regenerate a lot of your abilities for your class. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily like that you, like spell slots, for instance, are an annoyance mm -hmm. when they only refresh on a long rest because it's just a weird system. Sure, sure. It's like, I get it, but there's a better way to do it that just requires a little bit more management but it lets you be usable for more than just three spells. Right. I have noticed as I've been like digging into individual classes for the spellcasters, looking through it, it seems like a lot of them have ways to mitigate that to some degree. You know, to a degree. Yeah, the dru the druids have an ability to like once per day regain some of their spell slots based on their level. Wizards will regain some of them during short rests. Sorcerers can use their meta magic points to to recoup spell slots if they want to. So it sounds like they've kind of gotten around that. And also, cantrips are excellent because they completely eliminate. You know, you you never feel like you're out. Of the game, even if you've expended everything that you have for spell slots. Yeah, it's just one of those weird things. It would be good, like, I think you were talking at one point about the idea, maybe if you had, like, a mana system instead, and you, but even then, how do you regenerate that? Would you have to rest if you wanted to get uh, your mana or your magic energy back? I don't know how that mechanic works. Or drink a potion. Yeah, chug a potion of spellcasting. I saw... Fills you with arcane power. <laughs> I saw this, uh, like, legendary artifact that's actually in the game, and it's, um, an amulet of, or, no, it's a ring of spell storing, 
I don't know okay, if you've yeah. Ever, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hold so many levels of spells, like, in, in that if you imbue it with it. And so it's kind of like, kind of augments your spell points a little bit. A little bit, yeah. A little bit like They're that. They're interesting items. Yeah, some of them are. I wish that there was an item that made it so that you didn't have to sleep. Emulated sleep storing. Of sleep storing, yeah. Yeah, you just sleep for 24 hours and store the 24 hours in your ring, and then you can just... Get the benefit of as many hours of sleep as you need. You, you need an amulet that regenerate, like, that will allow you to, like, store X number of hours, and then if you go down for a long rest, you can mitigate X number of hours of sleep. That's a perfect thing for, like, the broken items thing, is, is, uh, the sleep debt storage amulet. <laughs> you get to- <laughs> You have, but you have to pay off the sleep debt in so much time. Can't use amulet until you've slept for thirty-six hours straight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> then you get. But a little during bit the thirty-six hours that you're sleeping, yeah, nothing but sleep paralysis demons. All sleep paralysis demons, and then you make that a stat block for that. You and you have to actually fight your sleep paralysis demons. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Uses your mental scores only. Yeah, and you can't perform any somatic components. Yeah. Because you can't move. Perfect. Or verbal, yeah. Here's your game idea of the day, friends. Yes, exactly. (laughs) What if you were literally just, like, sitting there, paralyzed, you couldn't perform any of the somatic components, and all you could do to cast spells was blink? Try to figure that one out for yourself. Anyway, are there better ways that you could implement, uh, like, a, a sleep mechanic into a game that would be a little less egregious than the ones where we literally just either pass out or become so bedraggled that we have to slowly walk back to our house trying to find our keys to get into the front door. Yeah, I definitely think we uh, discussed a couple ones. Whether it's the game becomes harder, uh, you're fighting monsters, becomes tougher, you may be drowsier, slower, you may have benefits from sleeping there are i think a lot of ways to do this better yeah and i would like to see games attempt to do sleeping mechanics in a better fashion than just you're up way too late time to pass the fuck out and get teleported back home yeah perhaps what we're really talking about is the idea that instead of just forcing the decision on players is to make systems that encourage you to take rest and uh, yeah. and make it beneficial to you. Whether it's just that you take a rest and you get like a well-rested status effect like they did in some of the Fallout games, or that you actually do replenish something, uh, or you know you, you make the game more uh, viable if you're not a particularly high level. Um, I know that in a game like Dying Light, which is always always a fun one, that, since it implements a day-night cycle, will naturally make you think, like, maybe I do need to actually rest. Because you can turn the uh, the clock forward, and you can either turn it today, turn it tonight, and the landscape, the mechanics, and some of the missions, even, are dependent on the time of day. So, it actually pulls the... Sp- it actually moves the story forward by uh, saying, hey, you might have to find a shelter and bed down until the thing happens. That's a nice example, even though there weren't necessarily any mechanical benefits to your character to rest. But I guess we'll pass the question on to you, since we've, we're, we're tired of talking about tired. It's time to sleep, this, uh, sleep on this one. This is a, a sleeper issue, and since, <laughs> since that's the case, 
Uh, we pass the question on to everybody else. Uh, what do you think about sleep mechanics? Do you have a way that has worked or maybe a homebrew rule that you used uh, in one of your tabletop games that we might want to consider? Please let us or know. any video games that do sleep mechanics really interestingly that uh, don't take away player agency. Yeah, if you know of any, uh, please let us know. As I think about that, there was one I'll talk about briefly. Do you remember Morrowind? Yes. Okay. In Morrowind, the only way that you gain levels and abilities... Oh, is... yeah. You had to sleep. You had to sleep. You had to get all your stuff and you didn't level until you rested. Exactly. On the same note, uh, Vampire. If you've never played Vampire, you never have to sleep if you don't want. But the only way to uh, gain new abilities, like cash in your points to gain new abilities, is if you actually go to sleep. But it also advances time, and characters can get sick, and all of the monsters come back into the world. It's. I was going to say, it kind of reminds me of... The games we're not allowed to talk about on the show anymore, but yeah, uh, the bonfire mechanic in Dark Souls is a right. way that you can get around the sleep thing, but if you're resting at the bonfire and you can level up there, but doing so means all the monsters come back. So right. there are definitely people who have played the game, I'm sure, would never resting at a bonfire because they just do it at level one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's some, you know, give and take on, on a few of those systems. But it's an interesting way to do it, so. It is, and worth but, note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if any of you have any thoughts, please let us know either in the comments down below or over on our Discord, which you can find links to probably somewhere down below as well. You can. It's there. Trust us. Alex, it's time to do a little bit of crit thinking. And, uh, oh, no. Sorry. Uh, on a recent episode, uh, I mentioned this thing that's been going through my head, a question that has been bothering me for a long time, and it's about adventuring parties. Uh, mostly the question like, how did we all get here? Like, why how is How did it... we get here? Yeah, wh- well, just uh, here's what I mean. A wizard, a druid, a bard, and a barbarian walk into a bar. Why are they all together? What? Why did? Why are they working together in the first place? I don't understand the reasoning. Like, I'm sure it's different for different groups as to the reasoning behind it. But a lot of times, you just kind of breeze over that entirely, and it's just kind of like, oh, well, these are the characters we built, and I guess we're yeah. all together. I think in some circles, some gaming groups, the first session or session zero can be establishing a background of who the party members are and why they know each other. There are some ways you can do like a round robin. Hey, tell us about your character and tell us how you know this next character. Oh, okay. And so then it's like you pull them into your story and then they go around the table and it's like the next character tells how they know the other character and how they know so you go around until you've established how everyone kind of is a connected network um that's one way you can do it uh i've never been a part of a game that did that sure and like our current sort of current uh our current game of D D. uh my focus was helping uh crave and my son learn to play so the focus was not on learning how to storytell in that fashion 
and uh, improvise at that level, where it was more focused on getting them to learn how to play the base game and what D&D kind of is. Sure. So there, um, there, there was never a part where we tried to figure out, like, where Dwarvy and Gwyn met at any... Not really. Ray came up with some background for her character, but my son was just disinterested in coming up with a background <laughs> for his character, aside from he was a criminal once. Yeah. Which, again, different groups, different people like different things. If your group doesn't want to do that, right. it's fine. Right. But then you do come into this question of, well, how does your group know each other? Right. Um, to his credit, just for side note, uh, Dwarvy just saying that he was just a criminal and not wanting to go into depth on that actually kind of makes sense for a criminal in general. They probably don't mm, want to talk much true. about their backstory. <laughs> probably pretty tight-lipped about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I guess the thing is that, like, the typical trope, right, is that, you know, everybody meets at a bar. Uh, but, right. but, but we never really even flesh that out. It's like, okay, why would the paladin and the warlock suddenly chat each other up and kind of go, you know what, we should go adventuring together. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I heard you serve an elegant god. How about, I? how would you like me to teach you about the Lord and Savior Helm? Yeah, can we, can we I got it. And the it. warlock's <laughs> like, I'm here to see what your god is talking about because my god. Yeah, we don't But know. then it's, it's like, how much does the party trust each other then? Right, and I think that's one of the problems that a lot of people might have with, like, an alignment system. It's like, how does, how does like, a chaotic evil and a lawful good character just kind of, like, say, yeah, I guess maybe we should be traveling together <laughs> for some odd reason. I, I've got a holy cleric here, and I've got, like, a, you know, a, a necromancer that wants to raise an undead army. Yeah, cool, we're besties now. Let's go out into the world. Yeah, there can oftentimes be a lot of overlap if you don't go and figure out the background of the party, which is fine until something crops up. Yeah. But then it's a lot of players' desires and actions versus the rest of the party's wants and desires as well. Uh, and you can get into some probably pretty bad horror stories from that. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of them online. Perhaps what you could do is look at it a little bit less from the characters in particular, like their interactions with each other, and more the reason why each one of them is going on this particular quest line. Like, uh, in our adventure, it's sort of like, you know, guns for hire, so it might be a little bit more important that they all just know how to work together. But if you were on, like, a, a major mission where there's an actual goal, each individual character might have specific reasons why they need to achieve that, and realize that it was advantageous to achieve that, to be working as a unit. Um, you know, well, we gotta find the magical crystal. Okay, well, the holy warrior, your your paladin kind of archetype, might want to do that because it's, maybe maybe they think that the uh, crystal is, is evil, and is threatening the power of Helm. But the warlock's like, well, I could use that crystal and use it for my patron. And the barbarian would be like, shiny crystal, me want. And so <laughs> all three of these characters would be like, you know what? Our odds of achieving this are better together than apart. 
So maybe we do it. Even though we don't agree with anything each other thinks. Then you just fight on who gets the crystal. Yeah, everything is great right up until you find the crystal. And then the the crystal of discontent just destroys the entire party dynamic. That would be a total crystal lockdown. Oh, a TCK. Or a tick. No ticks. No ticks. I'm gonna check everybody for some ticks. Total crystal knockdowns. And everyone listening is now very itchy, and we apologize. I'm very, very sorry. Be careful in the tall grass, folks. They, they'll get you. That should be a quest line. Just, just how many ticks can we, can we smite? They're each worth. They're each worth one XP. It would be like that going out in the woods and just. Smiting boars all day long. Um, I but. cast fireball on the forest. Yes, exactly. On on that note, though, because I was just thinking about Warcraft, is like in in a WoW or and in MMO. Sometimes you'll go on those raids, and you're just around with these completely other characters that you've probably never met before. And that's sort of that thing where, like, we all have this one mission that we're going on and we're probably all going to get something out of it and it's probably better if we all work together because that is a very 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 large dragon yeah those are kind of forced in that if you would like to do this content you kind of need this many people to do it right whereas uh, i think tabletop it's not exactly the same thing generally an adventure would say it's for this many to this many people Sure. At minimum two people, for instance, but you can generally tailor those also to how many party members we have. Sure. Uh, For instance, in the game I've been running, uh, there have been some that are like, yeah, for every one player, there's like three orcs. That's per the where the bells in the uh, shrine were, I think you guys went to. I forget the name of it. It was like, yeah, every for every player character, there are like four orcs. Got it. Yeah. And one ogre. Or something. I was like, okay. Yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, And, of course, that would be uh, way more ominous if it weren't for the fact that uh, Dwarvy could just stab them all in his... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. What happens when you have, have, like, a stealthy rogue and also a bard that can cast invisibility on him? Murder. Murder. Lots of it. So much murder. Um, Those orcs didn't know what to do with themselves. Uh, they died doing what they loved, dying in their sleep. They, they were having dreams of pillaging. I think of it myself like there are some scenarios, even in, in like a tabletop RPG, where it might make sense that you had to have a certain number of characters. Like you could set up a scenario like, uh, well, you're going into the arena, like you start as you know fighters in an arena. Um, and but this is a doubles competition, or this is a team competition, and you better find X number of other people that are that are there that you can work with. Now you gotta have four people, and that just happens to be where you met, and it all starts there. I think what it usually, or what it, I think what it should come down to is a work between the games master and the players on their session zero. Where the GM will go, all right, here's kind of the idea that I'm going with. This is like the premise of the campaign we're going to be running. Sure. They don't necessarily have to tell you everything, but giving players an idea of what to expect is good up front. 
especially during character creation, because if your character doesn't want to go, I think there's that that maybe famous example of my. All right, you guys need to get on the boat, and the one player's like, my character would never get on the boat. My right. character just he just leaves, and it's like, all right, cool, just make a new character then. It's like you don't want that to actually happen in a game. Right. That would be very not. Is, fun for anybody to make another character like that? Yeah. Is there fantasy drama mean that we can just give him so that we can just pass out on the boat? Right. <laughs> so I think it's good to have the GM lay out like what you're going to do and sure. discuss that with the players. And then they can create characters that this aligns with perhaps their goal in some way. And then it's a discussion of, all right, why is your character pursuing this goal? And then... How do you all know each other? And why are you doing this together? Right, right. I think that is probably the best way to go about that. The, mm. If you want, like, a narrative where the players and characters all know each other and have some background and you can pull. But if you're not doing something that involves a lot of storytelling or involves a lot of, like, character depth, you may not need to or your players may not want to do that. And that is okay, too. Is that one of the reasons why you don't, where like when you start new adventures or something, you don't usually see people take their old characters and bring them back in because they're like specific to the framing of the adventure that they were on? Um, possibly. Maybe sometimes they just want to play new characters. Yeah. Other times it might be a new dungeon master, or games master, and you just are like, for instance, Nathan, if I were to run a new game and it was one I created, I would probably not let you play Max in it. Right. He's too powerful. <laughs> no, it's just I don't think that character would be fitting. Like, especially if you're starting a new game at level one. It's like, yeah. all right, well, your character's level five, so you're not playing that character. You know? Right, right. Uh, I know that in terms of, like, when I played Snowball, I had to do that thing where, since it's just one-shots, I had to keep, like, uh, leveling up and de-leveling him for different scenarios. So there's those fun places where characters are like, Snowball, I thought that you could do this thing! And it's like, yeah, I remember being five levels higher last time. <laughs> um, I'm not now. Uh-oh. <laughs> Again. I remember having more magical ability than this. <laughs> it's weird. Um, but, uh, you know, I've played in, in scenarios. Snowball just gets his magical ability based on the difficulty of the uh, thing he's solving. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have played in games, in one-shots, where there are, there are characters... There are people who just have, like, a character that they happen to play, and they will just level or, you know, uh, de-level them accordingly to just fit for that. But it's just like, this is the character I just like to play, so when it comes to any kind of one-shots or test material or anything, that's just the character they are, and uh, they've just gotten very used to it. And sometimes maybe you can build characters that can kind of fit themselves into any scenario, but I do think that it is kind of specific to what the adventure is that you want to run. And um, so maybe the starting point is really thinking about that whole scenario like we were talking about before you figure out the individual's, like, 
okay, so why is the ogre and the, the elf working together in the first place? Or, or the orc and the elf, you know? Uh, there, there might be some extraneous reasons that drew them together and not just their BFFs, you know? <laughs> but they still are BFFs. Oh, yeah, sure, they certainly are. They go and they play uh, soccer all day long. You see them all doing that Top Gun volleyball thing <laughs> just out there, like, yeah, you. Well, I know we're going to get some decent comments in the Discord from this one, because I'm pretty sure Dadam has talked about this before. Uh, so. Hopefully Seagoat, when he listens to this, will also throw some comments in there with his thoughts, if anyone else also has thoughts in this. We'd love to hear that as well. Because, again, this is a crit thing, so we usually come up with a specific question that we would like to now pass along to everybody else. And um, I'm trying to think what we want that question to be. This time, I think our question is going to be, what is the best way you can think of for completely different characters to align together? Ocean's How Eleven. Okay, so why are your characters in Ocean's Eleven? That's what... That's what we're gonna call it. Money. Motiv <laughs> <laughs> Your characters are motivated by money. Well, you know, they are adventurers. I guess that makes sense. If you have any thoughts about that, and you are in our Discord, feel free to uh, leave uh, any of that information in uh, episode discussions. Uh, or, of course, you can comment on the videos, or you can catch us over on socials as well. I got some games you didn't think we'd play. I was playing a couple games recently that were in systems that are not Dungeons & Dragons because I have been very curious about how mechanics in other systems work and considering that there aren't a ton of game groups that, you know, are around for anything, really. <laughs> have you tried looking? No. So... <laughs> But see, considering that people that I know specifically don't necessarily play a lot of these, uh, I thought that I would do the next best thing and play some video games that are based on those systems. So th What could go wrong? Yeah, you'd be surprised. So the two games that I tried out were Pathfinder Kingmaker and Shadowrun Hong Kong. Uh, of course, based on Pathfinder 2E and Shadowrun. I can tell you that they are markedly different than Dungeons & Dragons uh, in, the, in the systems themselves. Uh, are you familiar with either one of those games? Yeah, I, I have both Pathfinder Kingmaker and Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. I think they're both pretty decent, but also I do realize, as what I was saying to you when I saw you were playing that, an issue I had with Pathfinder Kingmaker or Wrath of Righteous is that the game assumes you know how to play Pathfinder right out the gate. And that is a really big downside to it, because yeah. if you're coming at this, coming at this let alone from a standpoint of not ever playing a tabletop RPG, mm -hmm. uh, you would be solely confused. Yes, you really would. Um... Even me coming at this from a standpoint of having played a ton of 5e and starting in 3.5 which is what original pathfinder is completely based off of i was very confused at the beginning with some of the stuff and character creation 
so what I decided to do with uh, Kingmaker was I decided I would make uh, Max. Basically, I would just see if I could make Max so that I would be able to kind of like compare Bard to Bard about how the skills work and everything like that. And, um, and I thought, well, you know, that seems to be a good idea. Uh, little did I know that, like, the first NPC that you meet is also a bard that has the exact same skill set. But whatever, it's fine. Um, I was a little surprised by, one, that when I could do a point-by system, you could literally just set skills to 20. And you could set other skills down to, like, 5 or whatever. Uh, I was like, okay. That's a remnant of 3-5. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, like, in a point-by system, I don't know if you've seen the point-by system of, uh, D&D 5e, but usually they'll tap out at 15, and they'll only let you go down to, like, 8. Are you talking about stat points? Yes. Okay. For, for your stats. Yeah, for your base stats. Uh, if you roll, obviously you can go as high as 18 and as low as 3, but if you're doing the point-by system, they, they don't let you go beyond 15 or below 8. As a general rule, um, I feel like that's GM's discretion. It probably, yeah. To be fair, in Five E, you can't have a stat over twenty. This is true, and I think in Three Point Five you could, right? Yeah, you could get nuts though. <laughs> of course, there are a few things like not to get to, but if you had like belts of giant strength or something, you could, or there are some other status effects where you could take certain skills over twenty, but it's rare. But anyway, so I, I was making the bard, and I started to notice immediately, like, I was a little confused as to how the spells part of this works. Uh, because it's like, oh yeah, you got some cantrips here, and you got some, like, you can have, like, a level one spell or two. One thing I was noticing is that the offensive spells for a bard are, like, not very, uh, rel like, they're not very present. It's almost all support and all like songs that you can do in the in the field um but the thing that i was very confused about with the spell casting portion is why i was sometimes allowed to do spells and sometimes not like i knew that i had certain spell slots but it didn't really explain to me how many i had and why when i was recovering them and <laughs> and anything like that so i kept thinking to myself oh this is a really great spell i'll get i'll take sleep great and then I would cast sleep, and then I didn't know when I'd ever be able to cast sleep again. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and, and um, so that was a little bit strange. Uh, I didn't have, like, a... Did I have a musical instrument? I guess I did get a musical instrument at some point. But I realized that they were trying to kind of create more of a support class specifically out of Bard. And, um, and I started to think to myself, well, if I keep playing this, I might have to cross-class into, like, one of the magic types so that I have something going on. <laughs> um, it's not like in a D&D where, realistically, you could go right to level 20 with any of the classes and be perfectly fine. It feels like it's really encouraging you to cross-class into a few different things to mix It's encouraging up. you to know what you're getting into the moment you create your character. Yeah, it really does. Um, also, again, with that encumbrance thing we were talking about earlier, mm. yeah, the encumbrance really comes into play pretty quickly <laughs> um, for, for your characters. Uh, I guess something that was interesting for the narrative was that you, act, you, you do have ways of 
you know, determining your alignment by the actions that you take in certain moments yeah. and and that those those alignments are more meaningful, I think, with the Pathfinder system because they actually inform different interactions. Like in D&D, it really, your, your alignment might mean well, something, but... You're comparing a video game and a tabletop game. Right, but even even in the video game adaptations I found of D&D, like I remember back in Baldur's Gate, it didn't really seem to have as much weight to it. Uh, like in, in Baldur's Gate 2, there are technically evil quests you can go on, but they're not really marked as like evil quests. Like I think it was what the human skin armor quest where you have to get all the components together. And they, they say like, oh yeah, this is what you do if you were evil characters and you even had evil NPCs. But they didn't like say, oh yeah, well your alignment won't let you do No, they didn't really tell you that it was like not something that you could take on because of alignment. Uh, in Pathfinder Kingmaker, though, they actually say, like, oh, here's a choice of different dialogue options, and these are what different kinds of alignments would pick. What do you want to do? What actions do you want to take? So, it felt like that was a little bit more meaningful. Um, I was surprised by the stat bon- like, the skill bonuses, um, because you would get... Unlike the proficiency bonuses and having everything tied to your base stats, uh, they would just say, like, yeah, this informs a little bit about it with your base stats, but also, every level you put points into. That's from 3.5. Yeah, yeah. I'm realizing that now. That that was, like, a thing in 3.5. Yeah, it was a thing that you could absolutely go nuts with certain skills. Yeah. Like rogues and uh, other classes that were skill monkeys uh, would absolutely top heavy. <laughs> like, do I want to stealth real good? Then you'd go, you've got hide and move silently. And then you'd use those two skills to sneak. I realized that the numbers start to get pretty nuts too because I, I would put points into it and I think I would get like a three bonus or something as a bard to, to the different spell points. So it's like I'm only like level three, but some of my skills get like a plus 10 or something like that Yeah, to skills. doesn't take very long. They seem to encourage you to try some different skill combinations because right up at the gate they're like, yeah, every level you figure out like, do you want to just raise this level up again but these are also a bunch of things that you can cross-class into based on your basic stats. So uh, they, they give you those options, uh, and I thought that that was neat, but it is very obfuscating up at the start about like how you're supposed to play this game, and even the tactical part when you get into combat, about like, why are my attacks not seeming to work? Like, what is the area of, of attack, of, of effect that I'm going into? Uh, sleep works very differently, too, in that system than it does in D&D, uh, because in the D&D version of sleep, it's based on the number of hit points for the enemies that are in an area, or the creatures in the area, and in Pathfinder, it's about making skill checks for each of the characters that are in the area of effect. So I had to get used to a few of those things, and, and probably over time, I would be able to, to figure it out um, but it did not do any favors to try and get people up to speed. <laughs> yeah, no, the front end, even again, I played 3-5 <laughs> for a long time, and even me at the beginning of this game was like, 
the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> I don't really know what they were going for. It was the assumption that you already know how to play 5e, or sorry, uh, Pathfinder 5. 2e. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm just like, they have, I, I've backed it and I'm waiting for it for the Rogue Trader game. And I'm hoping they do a better job with a tutorial for that because that's based on the actual FFG and uh, Rogue Trader uh, tabletop game, which is a D10 system. Oh, okay. Interesting. So if I were to say, Nathan, do you want to try this game? And their tutorial wasn't very good. Uh, you might have no idea of what the fuck is going on. It's I, a very I, different system. Yeah, yeah. Rogue Trader does sound like an interesting concept. It but, is, and I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I, I, I just, I hope that they understand that, like, we might not all be super familiar with Warhammer. <laughs> well, it's we... not even the Warhammer part that's being unfamiliar with. I don't think that'll really matter, because lore dumps and whatnot will be fine. Sure. And learning about the universe is fine. But if they don't do a good job explaining how to play, like, the system, how to sure. read the numbers... Because mm -hmm. you're rolling, every roll is made with a d10. Sure. Every skill roll is made with a d10, 2d10. It's the d10 hundred set. Okay. So you're rolling versus 100. Yeah, you if they didn't give that to me, I'd be in trouble. So what was the other game you played, Shadowrun? Yeah, uh, so technically I have three different Shadowrun games, but I'm... I started playing the most recent one, and it's Shadowrun Hong Kong. Uh, all of these are from Harebrain Schemes. You might not be familiar with Shadowrun, but I liked the concept before I started playing. Because they basically take the idea, like from the setting standpoint, of some fantasy elements, but in more of like a cyberpunk sort of world. Yeah, it's a dystopia. Yeah, it is a dystopia. Corporations run the world it's sort of cyberpunk but imagine if you could play trolls and orcs and elves and like dwarves and stuff as well they all live in this system and magic is like an actual thing in this world as well um so that's sort of cyber uh shadow run i was gonna say cyberpunk cyber run <laughs> cyber run shadow punk shadow punk the game we've got to make that now uh in Hong Kong, uh, the first thing out of the gate was to make my character. And this is where I was going to kind of get an idea of the differences between this and systems that I am familiar with. And so I made my elf girl, uh, and I just decided, like, I'm going to make every reference in the world. So I called her uh, Morgan Daggerfall, and her nickname was V. So just figure that out now. <laughs> Just tie everything in. All right, then. Um, and so the first thing that I see is that there's all of these stats. So you have your stat block with, like, quickness and strength and, and toughness and all of that. Um, what was interesting about that character builder is that it's not putting in, like, individual points so much as you have a karma system. You gain karma points as you go through the game, and then you can dump a number of those into different skills. In some ways, it feels like it encourages you to do... to take multiple things at low levels, because it doesn't cost much in karma. Uh, the way it works is that if you want to do something to level 1, it costs 1 karma point. To level 2, it costs 2, 3, right. 4, etc. 
And so you have to spend a lot when you get to higher levels. World of Darkness did something similar? I think it might actually, where there are certain points that you can put in and, and you have like five levels of different stats, I think, that uh, I want to say for like your your uh, emotional, uh, physical, and mental stats. I, I, I want to say maybe there were three or four. Um, this actually has a lot more levels to it. Uh, in fact, if you're a human you have like nine levels that you can put into any of these stats. But if you're any of the other races, there might be up to 12 levels for different stats. But the interesting thing I found is that you have your base stat, and then you have all of these secondary stats that you also put points into that are your actual abilities tied to your base stats. So, for instance, I was like, well, I'm going to be the, the street samurai, and being a street samurai, I'm probably going to do well with focusing heavily on guns. So I took quickness. Quickness is really the stat that also allows you to raise up, you know, literally every single kind of gun that you could get. Uh, in order to get higher levels in, like, rifle or handgun or anything like that, you have to have already gotten to the necessary level of quickness. Because it's your base stat. You, if you want to get to level 3 in Rifle, you have to already have level 3 in Quickness, etc., etc. Um, subsystems, same thing. You have to have the majority in that. Uh, and, of course, you raise up those levels. It becomes easier to use, and sometimes you'll get a, a special bonus, like, uh, for reloads or clip capacities or whatever. Um, it does allow you to go super, super heavy into individual stats if you wanted to. And in similar fashion to that trope episode we were talking about, you could make characters that are very much broken because they won't function. Uh, so you do have to be careful and conscientious of that <laughs> up at the gate. Uh, I thought to myself, well, I'll try to put a few little points into everything else because I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm situated because I don't really know what I'm getting into. Um, once you get into the system, though, I thought that the game itself was pretty interesting. The uh, combat system is going to remind you a little bit of XCOM. It's, uh, you know, you can run up to cover, you get benefits from different cover, you can flank and stuff like that. You have a two-hit ratio on targets, usually based on how far away they are, how accurate you are, etc. You have some uh, other abilities that you can do uh, that, that are like on cooldown timers, essentially. Uh, and so it's going to feel a lot like that kind of tactical combat when you get into it. And then, another neat mechanic I found in it is where you get... Oh god, what do they call it? It's not really cordiality, but it's like being able to speak to people in certain ways. Like, for instance, you can choose one at the beginning, and if, you, if you're good at charisma, you'll get more of these. Where you have, like, corporate, or gang or, okay. like, Shadowrunner, or anything like that. And if you're talking to people that are in gangs or in corporate, the corporate world or security, you might get extra speech options that will allow you to succeed easily on those uh, because you actually understand that world enough that okay. you can easily discuss things with them. And so you, you, can, you can talk to people in that regard if they're also in those worlds. Kind of 
segregating the different parts of the population between different archetypes and uh, trying to figure out if you can talk the talk with them. Uh, and that's more of the, you know, charisma-based stat here. Um, overall, though, I, I think that the concept of the game was really interesting, um, where you're going around, like, you're, you're on a... You're almost like on like a, a wet works job that went wrong, <laughs> that went oh, bad okay. from from the beginning. You're with these you know, characters. You you know this one person, uh, this this other one you've never really met before. What's up with that? You're going to check out a deal, meet with this like seedy underworld, and then like the cops show up. They start sniping people. You have to get out of the city, and and you're on your way to figure out what the hell just happened, <laughs> and, uh, and and trying to figure out how you're not going to get yourself shot in the process. Um, so interesting concept. I thought the systems were really neat. I kind of like that idea of building up characters based on getting a series of points because when you would complete missions, you would just periodically get like one karma point as you kept going onward. And you could either save them up and get like a really high level stat, or you could just uh, dump them into low level stats throughout the period. But there's no, there's no levels like you think of in a Pathfinder or a Dungeons and Dragons. You don't ding and get a level. You just gain karma and keep sort of like actually World of Darkness. If you remember, World of Darkness doesn't really have levels, so to speak. Unless I'm misremembering that, but you might be able to tell me. I don't remember levels in World of I don't remember much. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a very long time. When you were playing World of Darkness, were you playing vampires or werewolves? I think I played a paranormal investigator. Oh, actually. that's a whole other thing I didn't know they did. Okay. I The only thing I really remember about... World of Darkness was what Bloodlines taught me, and and uh, the main takeaway I had there was that werewolves much more powerful than vampires. Uh, <laughs> that was the only thing I really got out of it. But uh, I like the idea of like that levelless, level less system, so to speak. Uh, I thought that it was a cool idea, but I think what I was really impressed by was the concept of Shadowrun as a setting more than anything else. Like, I'd want to play a Shadowrun game just because I like the concept of being in, like, this post-apocalyptic, like, cyberpunk fantasy mashup world. Yeah, that's kind of like me with with the 40k setting, is it's an interesting, really rich setting with mm. a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways that you can deal with it. And, like, for Rogue Trader, it's like, you're really powerful merchants, yeah. Like, really powerful. And you're outside the jurisdiction of the Imperium. Have fun. Yeah, it's just a really neat concept for, for a game. I, I think I, I, I would those like more to, now. I yeah. would like to play Rogue Trader again at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I uh, would like to play a few different kinds of systems as well, even though I have about a billion different uh, D&D characters I'd like to try, just to uh, see what they are, because I think some of them were good. Um, I guess... Uh, this is the part, though, I'd like to just say, like, the who wore it better, because mostly with these two games, the whole point was I wanted to figure out, uh, you know, the systems. And I think the key here is which one was able to present their system in a beneficial way for the outsider who doesn't have any idea what the hell's going on. I feel like you're gonna say Shadowrun. 
I, I am going to say Shadowrun, um, because I think maybe just because Pathfinder is a little obscure, even for people that have played the game, but Kingmaker looks really nice, and I, I appreciated what they did with it. I just found it to be very confusing, and I didn't feel like I learned much about Pathfinder as a system when I was playing it, unless it is like that, and then I'm like, oh, maybe I can skip that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've never played tabletop Pathfinder, and I ended up making about five or six different characters before I settled on one I felt like I liked. Sure. Just how the mechanics of that character worked. Sure. Um, and I tried, like, a couple of the uh, more strange ones to me that aren't, like, D&D classes from 3.5. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck is this class, and how does it work? Right. Um, the thing that I found pretty weird is so like i'm a magic caster and like i had another one in my party we we're both bards and i thought to myself well you know magic is really powerful in D, so i should be able to like get some hits off you know because i'm i'm kind of squishy and amory who's like the barbarian lady at the very beginning oh yeah just like rage mode starts it, it like just took out everybody Mm -hmm. so fast while I'm like trying my hardest to like get my ear piercing scream to do like three damage or something and then you just put Amory into like like rage mode and she just goes up smacks with a sword and does like 50 points of distance <laughs> like yeah. 15 I will damage say, I will say the way you can customize your character during creation is really great it is they do a but... good job yeah Teaching you how any of that affects anything and some of the other stuff is not. Exactly. Because it's like, I don't know what I want to have to be able to make this decision. Right, right. Um, I didn't really know what I was going... I was going very blind to both of these. I didn't know what to expect. But I did like that uh, Shadowrun kind of explained up at the front, like, okay, these are the different kinds of character classes. This is kind of the way that they play... And uh, then kind of leave you to your own devices. But I didn't really feel particularly lost by it. And maybe because I was familiar with other tactical games, I, you know, I was like, oh yeah, this is a little bit like Wasteland. I can get, get around, like, how it functions. Um, and so it I did encourage me to say, like, oh yeah, Shadowrun looks fun. But Pathfinder, I didn't necessarily know if it was going to be fun based on what Kingmaker showed me, so... Uh, so Shadowrun, pretty nice. Uh, Pathfinder, Kingmaker, cool, just not as engaging. I think if you're gonna do that and you want to try again, make a martial class. Yeah, I think I will. Or make like a ranger. Oh, okay. Variants, and yeah. maybe you'll find it a little bit easier to grasp, but sure. Um, that's if you want to go back to it. Yeah, I, I do think I probably made a mistake, because in most RPGs, the first time I play, I will usually do a martial character, because I getting around the basics of smacking things with a sword is usually the easiest way to understand how characters, right. how, 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 the, how to play. Uh, something like a ranger might work really well, because they get spells, and they have a bunch of interesting stuff, Yeah, and they can be pretty powerful in their own right as well yeah that and i was also interested in the fact that there are some classes that are not in D D 
that yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of classes, and I was kind of I was kind of curious as to like, hmm, how does this fit into the into the zeitgeist of this game? You know, so maybe I'll go back start a new character because uh, yeah, I'm realizing Max does not seem to like playing Pathfinder. <laughs> Even if I, even if I might or might not, Max is definitely not feeling it. So he's um, going home. He's going home. That's what we're doing. Yes. Uh, one question that I would like to leave people with, though, on this note is: uh, video games that are based on an RPG system, a tabletop system, uh, your favorite or your least favorite, like your top and your bottom. What did it the best to translate it from the tabletop version to the video game? And what did it the worst, in your opinion? Please let me know in Discord, or you can even leave comments down below this video. Thank you. This has been uh, the, uh, <laughs> the digital version of us in analog form which is just us when we're not on camera. Uh, one more episode of Total Pebble Knockdown, the digital pebbles. Alex, if people want to find all of the digital pebbles, where could they go Call on the internet? Pixels. That's Total Pixel Knockdown. Total Pixel Knockdown. Oh, I missed it. Damn. Yeah. Okay. If you would like to find out more about Total, Pe Total Pixel Knockdown, please head over to our website, totalpebbleknockdown.com. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we did a little switcheroo on you there. Uh, when you're there, you can also check out our Patreon. We have full video episodes that are available before the individual episodes are out, or even the podcast version, uh, as well as some of the additional content that doesn't make it into the show. Uh, you can also find uh, the first uh, episode of Creatures, where you can see the Winter Wolf uh, art project that our brand director Crave made, as well as uh, bi-weekly, you can find new episodes of Citanium Mine, talking a little bit more in-depth about specific video games and franchises. Um, you can also find us on social media. I'm at Citanium. I'm at EXP Limited, and the show is at Pebble Knockdown. And if you would like to catch the show in podcast form which I know a lot of you do. You can find us on pretty much every podcast app. Just look for Total Pebble Knockdown. It's there. And if you are getting us on Anchor, you can even leave a voice clip if you have a question for us you'd like to address on the show. And if you're getting us on iTunes, even though I don't think anyone is, uh, feel free to leave a rating and review because we currently don't have those. Yeah. And it would be great to have a couple things. Yes, iTunes, also apparently now known as just Apple Podcasts for sorry r reasons. Listen, I don't know if anyone uses it still, but it's still the only place that you can do ratings and reviews of podcasts, so it still has value somehow. It it does, it does. Uh, and don't feel bad, because I think changing it from iTunes to Apple Podcasts, frankly, was a really stupid rebranding choice. <laughs> but... Whatever. I don't run the company. And it's a trillion dollar company, so I guess guess I, they know better than me. Anyway, uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of Total Pebble Lockdown, and we will see you on the next one. Goodbye for now. Bye until sleep. Which we did, which we started out with, and we will also end on. <laughs> that's where I'm going. Sleep. That, that's right. See you next time. 
this is something I thought maybe at some point we could talk about, maybe on the next episode. My players spent an hour and a half planning how to travel to the next location last session. <laughs> They've been going over this for like an hour and a half, and there's not like a lot of choices that they have in front of them, and they pretty much know what they're going to do, but they're just kind of like sitting around and... How do we move? How do we move on? We have like three hours. Half the session has been spent. Like, are you going this route or this route? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I have thoughts on that already. So 